Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries for May the 6th, 2020. Uh, this ministry is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Today, we are going to be studying Daniel chapter number 4, which is where we left off last time. Uh, last time we were together, we finished up uh, the great image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up and uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego refused to worship that image. And then today we get into chapter number four and it begins with Nebuchadnezzar the king praising the Lord. So let's go ahead and read the first uh, couple of verses, verses one through three, and then we'll open up word of, word of prayer and get started. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Heavenly Father, we do come before you today. I ask that you bless the reading of your word. As usual, Lord, you would open our eyes to see, remove the filters, Lord, our ears to hear plainly what is said, and then ultimately our hearts to understand. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar, and he's going to go back and forth here as we work our way through the book, or at least the chapters that deal with his life. He's beginning to sound almost like a believer. Um, but we need to understand, though, Neb seemed to repent and have a change of mind and attitude, but we got to question sometimes whether or not it was genuine because of his subsequent actions. You know, the Bible, you know, talks about repentance as being a turning away from a radical change of mind, a complete change of heart. And it, Nebuchadnezzar seems to, and sometimes, but then he turns around and he does something stupid, you know, um, you know, no repentance short of repentance toward God with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is genuine and real. Um, I mean, it just doesn't look like a genuine uh, repentance here. Um, you know, of course, I mentioned Jesus Christ. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know who Jesus Christ was. I'm referring to the New Testament. But still, his repentance, it just doesn't seem like it was genuine his repentance, you know, because a man may see there of his ways and feel bad about it, but that does not mean that he's repented. You know, my grandmother used to say, you know, everybody in prison, sorry that they got caught. Real repentance means real change, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, if you really repent, you're not going to do it again. You're going to, it's going to be a complete change of mind, complete change of heart. You're going to do a 180 in regards to that area of your life. So Nebuchadnezzar, you know, here he seems to be praising the God of Daniel, and maybe he is, but we need to remember that the Babylonians were very pantheistic. So for, for Nebuchadnezzar to say this God is better than this God or bigger than that God, um, he may very well meant every word of that, but still he obviously did not believe that Daniel's God was the one true God, at least not yet. Now, now notice in verse number four, 
I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that I might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last Daniel came before me, whose name is Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God. See what I'm saying there? <laughs> He's still saying, my God is Belteshazzar, and in whom the spirit is the spirit of the holy God. So we see there he's he's pantheistic in his view. And before whom I told the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, master of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods, plural, is in thee, and no secret troubleth thee. Tell me the visions of my dream that I have seen and the interpretation thereof. I love the poetic language of the King James. <coughs> Excuse me. The other translations just aren't as beautiful, no matter how you look at it. Um, there's The poetry is just beautiful to me. So notice that King Neb refers to Daniel as the master of the magicians. Now it's obvious that King Nebuchadnezzar still has no spirit of discernment in him at all. If he did, he would have known that Daniel was not a magician at all, but he was a prophet of God, uh, a prophet of Yahweh. Uh, I'm astounded at how many people today have no spirit of discernment. I mean, they run around embracing this and embracing that, oblivious to the contradictions uh, with, the, with the very scriptures that they claim to believe. If you don't believe that, just go on Facebook for about five minutes. I... I see Christians, I see people that I have had relationships with, I see students that I have taught just making some of the most preposterous claims, things that are just totally contradictory to the Word of God. You know, but, you know, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, A natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. They are spiritually discerned. They just can't tell their left from their right. And I'm sorry, but I think the vast majority of them are natural. They're not saved. They're not spiritual men. They're natural men. Um, they're not filled with the Holy Spirit of God. If they did, they wouldn't be saying such such things. I uh, just, you know, Jesus said, will I truly find faith when I return? Um Few there be that go in thereat. Broad is the way and narrow is the way that needs to lead to life. I just, I, I, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, and this is just a pet peeve of mine. I hear people say all the time that you can lose your salvation. I don't think that's true at all. I just think that there's a lot of people that had some kind of experience in their life and claimed to be a Christian, maybe even thought they were, but now the fruits in their life are no longer um, healthy, they're no longer spiritual. And then people will turn around and say, well, you know, they fell away, they lost their salvation. No, I would submit to you, they never found it. Uh, they never found it. Uh, they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would have not left. I mean, they just, they're natural. They were never truly, truly um, repentant. They were never, they never truly believed in what they said they believed. 
so again, I'm just, Nebuchadnezzar had no spirit of discernment here, uh, like so many today. Um, and again, I think the reason they don't is because they simply do not truly know the Lord. They know religion, but they don't know uh, the Lord. Um, now notice in verse number 10, thus were the visions of my head in my bed. And I saw and beheld a tree in the midst of the earth and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong and the height thereof reached unto heaven and the sight thereof to the end of the earth. The leaves thereof were fair and the fruit thereof much in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it. The fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof and all the flesh was fed of it. And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven and he cried aloud and said thus, hew down the tree and cut off the branches, shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. In verse 15, nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field and let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beast's in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and let seven times pass over him, that's seven years. This matter is by decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up it over setteth it setteth up over it the beast of men this dream i nebuchadnezzar have seen now thou o belteshazzar declare the interpretation thereof for as much as all the wise men in my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation but thou art able for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee so again we see nebuchadnezzar is retelling his dream to Daniel. And he apparently did the same thing to the wise men. Now, what I find interesting is the first dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had, he refused to tell his dream for fear that they were going to give him a false interpretation. But now he just comes forward and he declares the dream. I, why didn't the wise men make up something? Maybe because they knew old Daniel was still around. So they said, we don't know. So then the king goes to Daniel, declares the dream to him, and then Daniel gives the interpretation. Uh, so apparently uh, the king, there was a trust factor there built between King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and not requiring him this time to reveal the dream that only he and God knew. Um, so I find that very interesting. I think it was just the fact that Daniel was around uh, that the, the wise men didn't start making up stuff like they probably always did. And then notice in verse 19, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour. And his thoughts troubled him. And the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar Shazar answered and said, my lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Now, I think that Daniel realized that, I mean, because if you look at the language there, he was astonished for one hour. 
and his thoughts troubled him. Obviously, the the meaning of the dream was very thought-provoking and very discouraging for Daniel. And then he he immediately says, you know, don't let this trouble you. Or, uh, but then the king turned around and looked at him and said, now, uh, don't let this trouble you. And uh, Belteshazzar said, my lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. So I think Daniel realized that Nebuchadnezzar was going to resent the interpretation. And then notice in verse 20, but of course, Nebuchadnezzar wanted the truth. The, the tree that thou sawest, which grew and was strong, whose height reached to the heavens and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof was much and in it was meat for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation, it is thou, O king. Thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto the heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. Now, of course, that was pretty easy for Daniel to interpret. It goes right along with the image in the previous chapter where Babylon is the head of gold on this statue that is greater than all the other kingdoms. So this was not a problem for Daniel to share. Um, in the Old Testament books of First Chronicles, Isaiah, Nehemiah, Ezra, now Daniel, we read how great the monarchy of Babylon was. Uh, it was an awesome, no monarch had so much power. And we talked about that with the metals, the gold and the silver and the and the, the brass and the, the, the iron and the clay, how that the gold is the most precious, the most valuable. Uh, the Babylonian Empire was nothing to be compared to um, as it was followed by the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks and then the Romans. And then, of course, one day, what we call the revived Roman Empire, uh, described by the Ten Toes. Now Daniel continues to interpret the dream in verse 23. And whereas the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it. Yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. Now, this has got to be the part where Daniel was astonished, where Daniel held his peace for an hour. I think he just he was really focusing on this, and this is speculation, but obviously Daniel knew this part was going to be very difficult. He wanted to make sure that he was understanding what God was telling him. The first part, who is this watcher? Now, again, this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You know, most likely it was an angel because it can also be translated. I, I clicked it up. I got a, I have a neat little program out here. I'll show you guys. Uh, you get down into verse 23. Of course, I've been following my notes over here. But in verse 23, and whereas the king saw a watcher. This is Esword. Uh, and you can get KJV and KJV Plus comes free. Anything else you get, you know, NASB or NIV or New, K, New KJV, you got to you got to pay for those, but uh, you really don't need them. I mean, I use them to cross-reference and see how different people translate different things. Uh, but <clears throat> if you look in the KJV Plus here in 
in Daniel 4.23. And whereas the king saw a watcher. You see that? And then right there is the original word. It's from a root corresponding to a watcher that is an angel as guardian watcher. So that's what that word is translated from. Uh, the word means a watcher. So as we come back over here and it says he saw the who was this watcher, apparently it was an angel or now you get to see all my bad spelling, an angel <clears throat> or a or that's translated as a guardian of sorts. So this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. And then notice, leave the stump. Now that part was the part that probably troubled Daniel and was going to and probably troubled Nebuchadnezzar quite a bit because it says leave the stump. In other words, God's going to remove this tree for a time. And then notice in verse uh, 24, this is the interpretation O king and this is the decree of the most high, which is come upon my Lord, the king that they shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make thee eat grass as oxen and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven and seven times will pass over thee till thou know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will now notice he says till seven times pass over thee and then he says until you know who is truly the most high and ruleth in the kingdom of men and gives whatever he wants to whatever he wills. So in other words, King Nebuchadnezzar was getting ready to be humbled. He was going to have a fresh slice of humble pie until he understood who the true God was. Now notice in verse 26, and whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots, thy kingdom shall be sure unto thee after thou shalt have known that the heavens do rule. In other words, he's not going to completely take the kingdom from you. It's going to be sure unto you, but not until after you know that the, who, that the heavens do rule. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it be a lengthening of thy if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. In other words, Daniel is exhorting genuine repentance on the part of King Nebuchadnezzar. And like I said earlier, there appeared to be a time that King Nebuchadnezzar did come very close, but he continued to lapse. He continued to refer to Daniel as the chief of the magicians. He continued to talk about Daniel's God versus his God and which God's the strongest God. I mean, it's apparent that, that King Nebuchadnezzar still did not know who really ruled. <laughs> and, and God was going to humble him because of his pride. Um, and then notice in verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months, he walked into the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. So 12 months had went by and then the king walks into the palace 12 months later and he spoke and said, is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the, by 
the might of my power and the honor of my majesty. You know, I you remember I remember the old expression, men um let's see, men uh men tend to worship uh their own image. There's a saying there, I'm trying to remember what it is. Uh well it comes from God created man in his image and man turned around and 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 did the same. In other words, God created man in his image and then man turned around and created God in his image. In other words, yeah, God created man in his image and man returned the favor. That's what it is. And uh and then it goes on something about men tend to worship their own creations. I forget what it is. It'll come to me sometime. I'm getting a little older. But bottom line is pride cometh before a fall. It reminds me of what 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Notice the pride of life. It is so easy to get prideful. And King Nebuchadnezzar stepped out on his balcony and noticed the personal pronoun I. Look what I have built. And if, for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power, for the honor of my majesty. So King Nebuchadnezzar was getting ready to get humbled at this point. And then notice in verse 31, while the word of the Lord was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times will pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the, in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. In the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar, and he was driven from men, and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So immediately after those words came out of King Nebuchadnezzar's mouth, this voice came down from heaven and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is departed from thee and they shall drive thee from men. So we don't know exactly what happened here. I went back and tried to do a little bit of research to see if there was a time in King Nebuchadnezzar's life that he was driven from the throne. Or maybe it was just a mental breakdown, you know, where Nebuchadnezzar just had a mental breakdown and, you know, just fled the castle, the, you know, the kingdom for seven years and began to, you know, I mean, I don't think, I think there's, I'm not sure... And maybe it's a combination of both of those. We don't know. We, we, we're speculating. Because it says, and they drove him. But maybe did they drive him because of this mental breakdown? Or did they drive him away because he did something? Maybe it was a coup or a coup d'etat or something that happened that, that threw him out. But obviously there was a mental issue there because he is eating grass like an ox. Okay, And his body is wet as the dew of heaven and his hairs are grown like eagle's feathers. I mean, his nails, so he's not receiving haircuts or, or trimming his nails. So obviously there's a spiritual, there's a mental element going on here, no doubt. But the bottom line is he's driven away. And then in verse 34, and at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me and I blessed the most high. Notice <laughs> he'd learned his lesson. And I praised and I honored him that lived forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion and whose kingdom is from generation to generation. This to me looks like genuine repentance. Um, this looks like he finally understood because uh, he blessed the Most High. He praised and honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. I personally believe that this was a real experience for King Nebuchadnezzar. And then notice in verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. You see, I mean, he's coming, he's falling a long way here <laughs> and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? At the same time, my reason returned unto me. So again, it looks like a mental state here and the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me. And I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride. He is able <laughs> to abase. What a testimony. I believe that was real. I believe that was real. Nebuchadnezzar finally understood who the God of heaven was and that he was a nobody. I think God humbled him, broke him. Um, and of course, there is a 20, uh, 20-year gap between the end of chapter number four and the beginning of chapter number five. And of course, Nebuchadnezzar has passed off the scene now when we get into chapter number five. So we don't know... Um, anything else about him, at least from the scripture. Um, but it looks like King Nebuchadnezzar had truly, truly repented. So we see this gap now between chapter four and chapter number five. King Nebuchadnezzar's died. He's replaced by a succession of men who were removed by their enemies. His grandson, Belshazzar, was co-ruler with it is believed to be his father, Nebuchadnezzar, historically speaking. So you have Nebuchadnezzar, who is obviously a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar, and then his son, Belshazzar. So they are co-ruling. So Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Now Cyrus, the king of the Persians, and nephew of Darius, king of the Medes, was besieging Babylon at this time. So 20 years have elapsed. Belshazzar, we're going to see, is inside of the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar is away somewhere. We don't know. He's probably fighting. Obviously, it's pretty apparent that Belshazzar is not made out of the same stock as Nebuchadnezzar, let alone Nebuchadnezzar. But 20 years have passed. Cyrus is now you know, the king of the Persians, and Darius, the king of the Medes, are besieging Babylon. Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, is on the throne as a co-ruler, and his father, we believe, Nebuchadnezzar, is away uh, staving off the enemies of the kingdom. Now, Belshazzar, 
obviously felt safe within the city walls, and we're going to talk about that, because Babylon was extremely well fortified and supplied with enough food and water to stand many years of a siege. And a siege was simply when an army, excuse me, when an army surrounded a kingdom and just did not allow anything to come in or anything to go out. So the people began to starve. The people began to turn on each other. The people began to uh, to surrender uh, to the armies around them. Um, now, for many years, now notice, look at verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Now, for many years, scholars doubted the book of Daniel because they could never find anyone named Belshazzar. But one day, Sir Rolandson was doing excavating around the Babylonian city and found the name Belshazzar. So once more, as we've been studying in our The Word of God series, the archaeologist spade proves the authenticity of the Bible. Now notice he was not actually the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. And again, history tells us that he was co-regent with his father, and his father was Nebuchadnezzar, who was obviously the actual king, and he was away with his armies fighting the Medo-Persians. But we're going to see that the Medo-Persians had already made their way to the city. And we're all also going to see, and this proves the point about who Belshazzar and his relationship with Nebuchadnezzar was, that he's going to offer, when we get down into verse 16, Daniel uh, to make him the third ruler in the kingdom. Why would he want to make him the third ruler in the kingdom? Because he was only the second ruler in the kingdom, and his father was the first ruler in the kingdom. So when we get down here to verse number 16, And I have I've heard of thee, that thou can make interpretations and dissolve doubts, and thou canst read the writing, make known unto me the interpretation, and thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about your neck, and you will be third ruler in the kingdom. So this tends to verify that Belshazzar was a co-regent with his father Nebuchadnezzar because he was not authorized to give Daniel more than making him the third ruler in the kingdom. So very interesting. So. Now, apparently, I mean, just a little backdrop here, Belshazzar probably was holding this feast knowing that the Medo-Persians were outside the walls of Babylon, but to express his confidence that Babylon would not fall to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, he didn't learn from his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He had no clue as to what uh, humility looked like. Um, his father is out fighting these people. He's inside, you know, throwing a party, trying to boost the confidence and the morale of the people inside of this, the gates of the city. Now, notice in verse number two, and we're not going to get far. We're going to run out of time. But in verse two, it says, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and the silver vessels, which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels, which were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines, concubines drank in them. 
And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and brass and iron and wood and stone. Again, obviously, nowhere near the experience that Nebuchadnezzar had come to. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, then the king's countenance was changed. <laughs> the party was over and his thoughts troubled him so that even the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against the other. So here we see Belshazzar, the enemies at the gates, and he decides to defile uh, the consecrated vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem when he conquered Jerusalem. And he used these vessels as wine goblets. He used these holy vessels as wine goblets. And notice that his knees knocked together. Uh, literally, it says uh, uh, his, knee, his loins were loosened and his knees smote. Um, uh, this is, this is not good <laughs> when it says his loins were loosened. Uh, I believe it, it, it literally means that he defecated on himself and his knees smote one to another. Uh, one translation says his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. In other words, it scared him to death. So much so that his loins were loosed and his knees smote one with the other. The interesting thing is this was foretold in scripture that this would happen. In Isaiah 21, 2 through 5, Isaiah is prophesying and he says, A grievous vision is declared unto me. The treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously and the spoiler spoileth. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O media, all the sighing thereof have I made to cease. So here's a prophecy in Isaiah that the Medes and the Persians would take the Babylonian empire. And then verse three, therefore of my loins filled with pain, pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. And I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. My heart panted Fearfulness frighted me. The night of my pleasure hath he turned into fear unto me. Prepare the table, watch in the watchtower, eat, drink, arise, you princess, and anoint the shield. In other words, the Medes and the Persians were going to conquer the Babylonians. In Isaiah 21, 9, And behold, here cometh a chariot of men with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he has broken to the ground. So Isaiah foretold of this event. In Isaiah 44, 28, And that saith of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be built to the temple, thy foundation will be laid. In other words, God was prophesying that Babylon would fall to the Medes and the Persians, and Cyrus would allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. And we know that under Ezra and Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, those books deal with the, the, 
Jews being allowed under Cyrus to go back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then Isaiah 45, 1, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue nations before him, I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two least gates, and the gates shall not be shut. In other words, God was going to allow Cyrus to conquer other kings. Specifically here, speaking of the king of Babylon, and the loins would be loins of the kings would be loose. So all of this was prophesied. Now you see, Babylon was thought to be impregnable. It had a wall some 300 feet high, 80 feet thick, with massive towers on it. And it ran for about 15 miles around the city. It also had a secondary wall on the inside that was not quite as large. But still, it was like Belshazzar. The reason he was partying on the inside is he felt that it was impregnable. He felt that it was impregnable. And the river Euphrates actually flowed through the middle of the city. Now, as we're going to find, this was actually Babylon's weak point. And the Medes and the Persians used this weak point to actually get into the city. They ended up not going straight through the gates or even over the walls. They went under the walls. And history tells us that while everyone in the palace was getting drunk, the drunken soldiers had neglected the bolt the gates where the river entered the city. So Darius and his soldiers diverted the river Euphrates. Now, what kind of task was that? Obviously, they were, seize, they were sieging the city. They had compassed about the city. And the whole time they're there, they are digging. And they are redirecting the river enough so that they could get down under the gates and pop up on the inside of the city. So Darius and his soldiers diverted the river and came up into the city. And of course, the Babylonian soldiers were too drunk to defend it because of the party that Belshazzar was throwing. And despite of all of the, elab the, fortifica the elaborate fortifications, Babylon had a weakness and it was exploited that very night by the Medes and the Persians. Now let's just look at, no, this is too much. We'll get into this. Next time, we're going to talk about, this is the chapter where the, the hand comes down and writes many, many tickle of Farson on the wall. And of course, Daniel is going to be called forward to interpret this. So he's not only going to interpret for King Nebuchadnezzar, but he's also going to interpret for, for Belshazzar. And then later on, we're going to see that he's even going to interpret uh, later on for another king. So uh, we'll talk about that later, but uh, as far as we're going to get uh, today. So I hope you've enjoyed our study in the book of Daniel. It's my privilege to come before you. It challenges me because I dig and I dig and I dig to come out and to teach this. And I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're enjoying the format. And remember, all of these things are, all of these things are placed um, on, on the internet uh, for you to take advantage of. Uh, let me, uh, I'm kind of messing up there. I'm actually showing you my screen. Uh, I was going to, I've shown this to you before, but remember that the notes are put on the, on the blog. So if you want to take advantage of that, DwayneSpearman.org. And then remember it's placed on SoundCloud, which shows up on all kinds of podcasting things like, uh, 
uh, iTunes and things like that. And then also remember it's placed in SoundCloud. Some of you guys listen on SoundCloud. There's actually an app that you can download uh, to uh, listen to it. If you're out doing something, got a friend out in West Texas. Uh, yeah, while he's bouncing around in his truck, he listens through that. So, but anyway, God bless you guys. It sure is a privilege to be with you each and every week. I pray that you always remember the Lord loves you, wants the best for you. He's working all things out for your good.